Canucks Central Wednesday, a sobering Wednesday early in this Canucks season. It's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah here in the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Get in on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox with your thoughts, comments, questions for the show. Also have overrated, underrated coming up later. Plus, our goalie guru, Kevin Woodley, after 4.30. Canucks uh, back at practice today. And given the performance in Philadelphia, Sat, they needed it. They needed a good practice after whatever it was we saw last night against the Philadelphia Flyers. Yeah, or more correctly, what we didn't see uh, (laughs) against the Flyers in Philly. Uh, Anything good? Outside of Thatcher Demko, there yeah. was uh, there was not much to really enjoy about the Canucks last night. As we know, we'll got we'll get into some of that uh, as the day goes on. But um, the story du jour has advanced once again to the number eight in your program, and certainly not number one in your hearts right now. Connor Garland has uh, popped up into the news again. Yeah. Uh, Elliot Friedman. On uh, his 32 Thoughts blog, mentioning it uh, was also on with Kipper and Bourne earlier. We'll play that clip. But it also started with friend of the show, Dave Pinota, mentioning that uh, Canucks are trying to get more teams involved or somebody's trying to get more teams involved into the conversation. Kevin Weeks added on to the pile. It just, it feels like a lot of um, speculation around Connor Garland mm. without much substance as of yet yeah i think the substance is in the reporting in terms of which teams are most interested or perhaps not as interested as we'll hear from elliot coming up but it's just one of those things where it's still a very hard thing to pull off yeah it's a guy owed a lot of money and it's not like the canucks weren't trying to trade garland throughout the off season everybody kind of knows where things are at it's just have we hit a point where there's enough immediacy from anybody to want to all of a sudden get involved on a player who they've been able to have yeah. for quite some time now? It's not like, I think the thing to always remember here is it's not like Carno Garland was just put on the trade market. Yeah. You know, now the reporting's been Vancouver is willing to retain, what is it, up to 30%? Mm-hmm. That's, that's one of the re- reports out there. So if that's something that's a new development, I suppose it could be something that conjures interest up again. And, We'll see, but I'm still very skeptical about something like this getting pulled off anytime soon. Yeah, it's um, <laughs> the the thing I keep coming back to is uh, if the Canucks had a deal that they liked or if there was um, a deal that made sense out there and available, it probably would have been done by now. Um, we have known the situation. Essentially, Garland's been on the block since the new front office came into existence here in Vancouver, and that hasn't changed. The only thing that has changed is Connor Garland's agent and uh, the ferocity in which he is calling other teams and trying to facilitate this move out of Vancouver. Now, Elliot Friedman was on with Kipper and Bourne, uh, adding a little bit more context as to where things currently stand and how much further along we are right now with Connor Garland and his situation with the Vancouver Canucks. I really thought Nashville was going to be the team for Garland, but now I'm not convinced anymore. Um, 
I, I Winnipeg, I could see Winnipeg bringing on a guy like Garland because he's got term. Mm -hmm. But again, I had someone tell me, like, pump the brakes right now. They can't do it. Um, I wondered about Columbus for Garland. I, I wondered about Washington for Garland. Um, I, I just think about Winnipeg is he's coming back. It's yeah. not like Doc where he's out for the year and you can add someone and not have to worry about the cap. So there is uh, Elliot Friedman. Um, Nashville, of course, dealing with Luke Shen's injury. That sort of clears up some of the logjam on their defense for the time being. It's a new team, I guess, in Washington being mentioned here as well. But it's kind of the same names, same teams we keep hearing sniffing around Connor Garland as a potential destination. Yeah, we've even heard about Washington in the past. It's kind of a team that's resurfacing yeah. now all of a sudden. Um, and, you know, he mentioned Fabro being a player Vancouver may have been interested in getting back in return for Connor Garland in Nashville, but now with Luke Shen out. But he also went on to say in his blog, I'm not as certain Nashville is as in on the overall idea as originally thought. So... Pretty much you can dismiss Nashville for mm -hmm. the time being. He mentioned how Winnipeg's a team that they have a hard time doing that right now, even with, with their situation that's ongoing. So it leaves Washington. Now look at Washington's situation. Washington has no cap space. No. So it's all it would be a money-in, money-out trade, which I suppose, I mean, hey, Nick Jensen's a right-handed defenseman. Yeah. But is that something that's going to happen, you think? Doesn't seem like it. I feel like Washington really likes Nick Jensen. Yeah, and I, I think that, I mean, I just don't see it with him. Yeah. I, now, if, if the Canucks are able to pull that off, credit to him. Yeah. And, and maybe that's the type of trade, like we talked about before, not giving up a first-round pick necessarily, but is that a trade where, hey, we're getting an upgrade, we're getting a, like a legitimate righty defenseman, could be, you know, if number four, and you can play him with Quinn potentially, and that yeah. could be something. What else do we add on top of this? Like, okay, maybe we retain 900 k which brings it down to four million, which basically makes it a even cap deal for both teams. Yeah, and that's a deal. Well, yeah, you're just shifting the money. Yeah, you're yeah. retaining a little bit, and perhaps you're adding something else on top because you're getting a righty defenseman. I'm not against that, but that's even if Jensen's available. He's a righty defenseman who they like, and those guys don't come cheap, and teams are often often reluctant to give them up. Uh, signed uh, for another three years at four zero five. Nick Jensen is also thirty three, um, but you know, he's been just a quality defenseman for the Washington Capitals and even the Detroit Red Wings before that for a lot of years on the right side. Yeah, um, you know it's if it, it has to be something like that because again, you look at Washington's cap situation, and they can't legitimately; they just cannot do anything that you know, takes on a significant amount of salary. You look at Winnipeg's situation. They can't really take on a significant salary. They've got a little over $2 million in cap space. So you have to take something significant back. Nashville, different story, but as Elliot mentioned, maybe they're not as in on this as it may have seemed at first. And that leaves me with Columbus, who it feels like you can see and make some of the trades situations make sense, right? They've got a mm -hmm. surplus of defensemen in Columbus. They could use a little bit more scoring in their forward group. All of these things sort of add up in theory. But if I'm Yarmo Kekalainen sat, what's my incentive to do this right now? I think that's a really good question and a really good point in general. Like, we hear about sweeteners. We hear about retaining salary. I would imagine that's a team, yeah. Columbus, that would say, yeah, 
what are you giving us to do this? They look at it as the Chicago situation where yeah. they're taking something on and you give me something to take something on for you to do you a favor, right? That's how they would view it. And why wouldn't you view it that way as a team that's rebuilding? And if they're the only team that's capable of doing it, that's interested because they have a little bit of cap space, then they can drive a hard bargain. Like they're not, they're not a team that's going to make the playoffs this year. Yeah. Why would they give up anything or be in a rush to trade for a player who's maybe a second line winger on that team who doesn't score goals but is a nice playmaker now and give something up to do so? Or that, yeah, it's, it's just you're right. I just I just don't see the immediacy now. If that's again, that's a situation. If I'm looking at it and say if it's for Andrew Peak, I'm not interested. Yeah, generally, like I'm not interested. Even Boquist. He's he's a bit flawed, but at least he's got two years. At least he's a, a puck moving righty defenseman who can move. And this team still needs righty defensemen that can be you know something. He's twenty three years old still, yeah. right? They still need puck movers on the right side. Yeah. Like Kronik's a good player, obviously, but Myers now is your Willander's a couple years away. Myers he's not going to be here long term until you get Ethan Bear in. You still need somebody that could potentially move the puck who's young. I'm not against you doing that. And is that somebody you would potentially give something else up to acquire? Right. I could see the sense in it, like to some degree. Peak doesn't interest me because I just don't think he's going to help you. And all of a sudden, you're committing 2.75 and retaining. Like, you want to pay 3.2 million for a guy who was healthy scratched by Columbus for the next three years, essentially after retaining money on Garland too. Yeah, it, I, I, that's not interesting to me. Well, and if you look at Peak, it's uh, 2.75 on the cap charge. There, it's almost like. Let's say you retain a little bit on Garland, whether it's 500, a million, or some are speculating 1.5, 30% of the contract, which I still, and as we've talked about ever since these, you know, discussions started to surface, it seems very unlikely the Canucks would be willing to retain 1.5 million. We'll see in the end. But now you're you're looking at Adam Boakvist, who seems like already a pretty significant charge at 275. If you're retaining on Garland, it's basically like you're taking Andrew Peak on at three and a half, yeah, four million dollars, something like three point two. It's just, yeah, I don't know. The, the 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 numbers just don't add up to to a place where it makes sense for me. No, and it's not enough cap space for me to do that. Yeah. Now to Columbus, would you retain one point six, and then they just take the contract off your hands completely, and then all of a sudden you clear up three point three or something? Again, that's that's a that's a still price to pay, right? Yeah. But at least you're getting three point three million in cap cap space. Yeah. That that to me for it, this year, this year, and, and the then next you're gonna year, have like the next two years. Yeah, exactly. Further down the line, you're gonna have with OEL already on you the do. dead money books. You're gonna have quite a bit, a significant amount already in dead money. You do, but you're also clearing up three point three. Yeah. So like that to me, if you're clear it up completely. It could be worth it, but I don't know if that's going to happen. To me, that's that's too pie in the sky. I'm not even sure that's something that's you're, you can actually yep. pull off. And this all kind of goes to something that I was kind of I heard about all this stuff this morning as well, right? We saw the tweets from Pinota and Weeks and everything and and Friedman. So I checked in on okay, hey, is something going to happen soon? Could something be happening soon? And what I heard was nothing is imminent. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean it can change, obviously, over the next little bit or whatever. But it wasn't at a stage that hey, it's getting really you know, hot right now and something could happen any moment like that. We're not there with Connor Garland. And I think a lot of it is happening because the agent is trying to create a market. And I don't even say that negatively. I say it as we know he's trying to 
as a the new agent's agent. doing his job. He's doing his job. He's trying to create a market. He's talking to teams, and he has permission to do so. So yeah. there's nothing nefarious or nasty going on here. It's just what he's doing to try to facilitate a move for his client. But we haven't gotten to a point, and, and you heard the reporting, and we just went through the process. It's nothing that's easy to pull off. These things take time. Mm-hmm. Even when we talked about Horvat last year and Miller before that, when his name was out there, it's too early in the season, before even the new year, for things to happen because of immediacy. Yeah. Does does a pressure point get created? Does somebody get desperate? Does something happen to expedite that process? Maybe it does, and maybe that does help Vancouver make a move. But right now, considering the market and just look around the league, and we just went through the process with interested teams even, yep. how complicated it is, it's not an easy thing to do right now. 14 teams in the league currently do not have enough cap space to even call up a player from the AHL. Yeah. So and that, like, that yeah, tells you a lot. 100%. And the same thing was said before. Teams could have traded for Garland mm-hmm. since for the last, like, in where, the summer. Let's just say last summer. Line. Exactly. Teams know he's available. They've mm-hmm. known that he's available. So what's going to all of a sudden change so dramatically that a trade happens? You retain a little bit? Sure. But even with that, it's not an easy thing to do. So we'll see what happens. And I think, to your point, if they're retaining that much, it's either to get significant cap space, like, hey, if I'm retaining 1.5, you better take the contract off my hands. Yeah. So I get three and a half million in cap space at least. Yeah. Or like, if I'm retaining, I'm getting a piece back that I like. Yeah. Like, the, like I don't think the retention is happening unless they get something favorable. Unless it's a piece that they can see fitting into their current roster and helping them this season. Uh, that would make some sense. Now, I guess what could spur this on is, is it becoming too much of a distraction? Mm. Because it starts day before the season, and that's not exactly something, as we talked about, the Canucks would have wanted. It was a fairly quiet preseason, and then a couple of things piled on, culminating with this Garland situation that led into opening night. Now, it obviously didn't affect their opening night performance, but... I can see how this is or can become an annoyance for the team if it keeps coming up. If every single week this becomes a story because, yeah, the agent is doing their job. They're trying to facilitate a trade for their client. And in turn, it gets out into the media and it becomes a story. It gets brought into the forefront. It gets talked about in the Canucks dressing room. You get asked about it after games, before games, Mm -hmm. after practice, whatever it may be. And it can become... A distraction. Now, Garland wasn't alone in being bad last night. Uh, he had the goal that I thought should have counted, but that was already discussed on the post-game show. You can find it on the podcast. <laughs> it's more of, like, is it going to affect Garland's play? He hasn't been all that great. His ice time was fine last night, but we've seen it dip in some of the other games so far this year. I think that's where it becomes more of an issue and maybe something you're forced into pursuing a little bit harder if Connor Garland's play or the situation really become a distraction. Yeah, yes, you're right. Now, if his play keeps getting bad, does it not also diminish the likelihood of him getting traded to begin with? It would, yes. And that's why this whole thing is its so comp- complicated. It's incumbent on the player to be like, you really want out? Well, you got to show teams that you're worthy of taking on and in fairness it hasn't been bad like you said almost scored you know yeah. maybe should have scored uh the only goal for the canucks last night he had some moments he played 15 minutes the most he's played so yep. far this season had a first good game or whatever it is so 
I don't think it's a distraction for the team yet. I thought there was a bit of a flamingo on the okay. on the opening goal. Fair, fair point. Listen, nobody was good. Like, nobody don't get was me wrong. Yeah. Like no, outside of Demko, nobody was good. So like you can criticize him all you want. It's completely fine. I'm just saying in general. Like he hasn't been. I don't think his play has been that bad in general. To, for us to be like, oh my god, this guy's not. You know, totally fair. Yes. And I think the other part too is I don't think that it affects the team on the ice. Yeah. The question is, does somebody in the front office say enough is enough? Yeah. That's the only thing. But even that, like, you can say enough is enough all you want. Like, you can't force a trade. You know what I mean? And because of the money involved, you got to be careful with it, which means I think you have to exercise some patience in the situation. And I'll see. I think I think it, it can become a distraction. It can get too too big. But at some point, if a deal doesn't happen, yeah, it's gonna go quiet. Because I think there'll be a resignation at some point of, listen, like we're doing, like it's not happening right now. Like we just have to take a step back and let it breathe a little bit and see what happens closer to the deadline potentially. So I think we could hit that point as well. I hope we hit that point. Yeah. Because, yeah, we, we can't do this like, you know, four months of, you know, con, you know tra- is Garland getting traded today? Yeah. Is he great getting traded tomorrow, you know? Um, that would be suboptimal, as uh, I like to say. Yeah. <laughs> um, this text comes in from one of our live listeners. Once Mikheyev comes back, just plug Garland in whenever, wherever he is useful until he gets traded. Um, could that be something that spurs the Canucks more into action? Mikheyev coming back into this lineup and creating more of a logjam amongst their forward group? Well, let me ask you, which forwards are playing so well Mm-hmm. that you're concerned about where Garland's going to fit because you have this bevy of great options outperforming their expectations in the bottom <laughs> six, right? So, I mean, and I, I'm trying to be not... Okay, I, I was a little maybe too sarcastic. They're two and one on the season. But, like, Bavillier hasn't been great so far. We know Hoaglander's, like... He hasn't played over nine, ten yeah. minutes. He hasn't played ten minutes yet like, in I, I didn't game. think Hoaglander was bad last night. I don't think night, so either, actually. the coach mentioned the box score and a lot of goose eggs. And yeah, you look at Hoaglander's... <laughs> He had a goose egg. You, you, he had a goose egg. He Listen, had zeros across the board. Listen, there are correlations, and he mentioned things. You can point to them, and you make your own uh, conclusion here on, on yeah. who, who he meant and who he didn't mean. So I don't think he's... So I think Garland's still one of your top... Like, he's still one of your top... Like, okay, how many wingers he's, are better... He, no, he's a top nine forward. Like, how many wingers are yeah. better than Garland on this team right now? So you can say Kuzmenko, Besser. Let's say, like, if you're being kind, you say Kuzmenko, Besser, and Mikheyev. So at worst, he's your fourth best winger. Yeah. And I've been critical of the guy, yep. but like he's still your fourth best winger. So I, I, I think if Mikheyev comes back, if anything, as long as he works hard, all of a sudden you have a third line with Suter and Garland. Hey, I'll take that. As long, like, I'd rather do better than five million than have him on your third line. But again, like to me, him being on the third line with Suter, as long as he works hard. Like, there's no immediacy. You don't have to trade that guy today because yeah. he's hurting your team. There's no cap situation. Like, Mikheyev is already counting against the yeah. cap because he's not on LTIR or anything like that. So there's nothing that, uh, you know, stops the Canucks from activating Mikheyev and getting him back into the lineup, which could be as early as tomorrow uh, for this situation to be spurred into action any further. But you are right. You know, as much as this is a situation that is, again, suboptimal, yes. you're not... There really is no scenario other than the Canucks feel it's become too much of a distraction and they're they're forced into making a move. No, and my boy Jack Studnika, like has 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 he done? Have you noticed him at all in the two games he's, he's played? scored a goal? Yeah, but outside of the goal, have you noticed no. anything? Like and right, and he's not playing a lot. Played nine minutes. So, is it the worst thing in the world that Mikheyev comes in, Studnika comes out? Yeah, and then you can go and when Bluger gets healthy, you can go Lafferty, Bluger, and and um and what Hoaglander potentially? Yeah. 
That's probably or like Bavilia Hoglander comes out. I do think Bavilia is a guy to keep an eye on in terms of like, does he get healthy scratch at some point? Like it wouldn't shock me. Yeah. He played ten minutes last night. He hasn't played a ton. We he mentions guys have to do a lot better. I think you have to look over at Bavilia as well. Like he's not getting talked about a lot. But like, I wouldn't be shocked that one day he gets healthy scratch. People are like, what the hell? Why is Bavilia getting healthy yeah. scratch? Like, it wouldn't surprise me. It's a $4.1 million player that's been almost invisible. And hey, maybe last night invisible wasn't so bad because I noticed a lot of players yeah. were making a lot of mistakes. But eh, Bavillier, it's kind of like 72. Has he even been out there? It feels like he's just been... Yeah. He's, he's just been a non-factor so far through three games. I think profile-wise, because he's bigger than than Garland, but he's not a big player. Like, yeah. he's, not a, you know, he's not a big player. So I think profile-wise, because he has some speed, he has some two-way you know, IQ and everything, but he's not like a, a super effective four-checker either. No. Like Profile-wise, he might fit slightly better than Garland, but to me, like him and Garland are very similar. They have different strengths and weaknesses, but I'd say Bavilia is probably a notch below in overall ability, I'd say. Like yeah. at least Garland, like he's he impacts the game in, in certain ways, even though it is a lot of spinning. Whereas Bavillier, when he's not doing anything, like he's not really doing anything. Uh, so Bavillier was uh, like, w- which other players you think the coach or was sort of hinting at in his post game last night? Was it just Bavillier? Was it Hoaglander? I I kind of have an inkling. I haven't minded Andre Kuzmenko through the first couple of games. No, I think he's actually, like, I thought last night he did a lot. Again, nobody did a lot of good things. Yes. But I thought... He was one of the less bad players. I thought Pedersen had one of the worst games I've seen since the North Division year. Yeah. And the beginning of... The uh, The end of the Travis Green era. Yeah. Pedersen saw the worst 25-game stretch of his career. So I think that's the toughest game I've seen from him since that point. Um, and I thought Kuzmenko a lot of times was trying to cover up for his mistakes and other guys' mistakes. So I actually thought, I'm like, okay, you know what? Like he's, he's trying to do the right thing out there. I still just wonder how much coach is, is in on Kuzmenko, uh, and, and is enjoying Andre Kuzmenko. He played, uh, still had a, a good amount of time on the ice overall last night, but didn't play a ton at what three shifts in the third period including a power play one. So you're down two goals in a game and your 39 goal scorer from last year isn't getting a ton of looks in the third period. So there might be a bit of a disconnect into what I'm seeing with Andre Kuzmenko and what the coach is potentially seeing with Andre Kuzmenko. And I think that's the thing, right? Like the coach, I I think he was putting a lot of guys on notice. Yeah. I'm not there with Kuzmenko yet. And I looked at the ice time too. Like he played 1634, but I I think given where he's been with him. Yeah. Like he's got to watch out as well. Like everybody's kind of on notice. Like, Pedersen has an excuse, at least based on what the coach said. He's injured, he's a bit banged up or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I think they give him a pass on that. Um, JT, I don't even think was all that good, but he wasn't horrendous. So, but yeah, you expect more from everybody. Like there were again, who, who does who said last night enough is enough? No one, Nobody. and that's a problem. Yeah, yeah, it is uh, definitely an issue uh, for the Canucks. You know, there'll be an underdog tomorrow against yeah. the Tampa Bay Lightning, and I'm expecting a much better performance. First game the Canucks were a favorite this year was yesterday. was their worst performance yet. Maybe they just perform better as an underdog. We'll see. We'll have that tomorrow here on Sportsnet 650. You are listening to Canucks Central. Big opinions and good bets. It's the People's Show with Bick Nazar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Tech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. So, uh, Canucks uh, brought in Mark Friedman today. First practice for uh, the new number 51 on the Vancouver. Friedge finally plays for the Canucks. A new Friedge. Can we call him Friedge? Would he know what we mean if we call him Friedge? He might. Yeah. He might. I mean, he, hey, listen, a lot of players listen to 32, <laughs> and a lot of them watch Hockey Night. That's true. So, um, he might. They might know. They might know. Uh, he is uh, the newest Vancouver Canuck traded yesterday and acquired from, uh, guess who? The Pittsburgh Penguins. <laughs> Maybe that's why Garland hasn't been traded yet. The Penguins haven't put their, you know, hat in the into the fray yet. Yeah, or a former penguin has not become available yeah, in the trade market. Yeah, a former market. penguin has not yet become available uh, in a Connor Garland trade discussion. Uh, we'll discuss uh, Mark Friedman, uh, the newest Friedman on the Vancouver Canucks, uh, as we get on later on into the show. Uh, let's bring in our next guest, though. He is the goalie guru in Goal Magazine, NHL.com. It is Kevin Woodley. Hey, Woodley, have you ever thrown up in your mask during a game? I'm just curious, since it happened last week to Thatcher Demko. Uh, yeah, not, not, uh, yeah, not super proud of it. And I've oh. kept playing a few times through it. So, uh, it's a little disgusting, you know, nice. it's like just your, your dinner is all over the front of your Jersey. Ooh. It's in the chin, of your mask. It's oh, in the yeah, chin yeah, cup. Yeah. Now, most of mine have been after getting whacked. So yeah. probably shouldn't have kept playing. Probably the reason I've had a few lingering concussion problems. Yikes. Uh, hopefully my wife isn't listening to this right now. There's some <laughs> questions right now about whether I get to play hockey again. So, um, yeah, I've, I've done it. Uh, it's unpleasant. Um, and, yeah, sometimes you just got to suck it up and keep going, I guess. But is that, so we're not bright. We're not that bright, Escoli. <laughs> but that's that's probably good on the coach to be like, you know what, you're out of here. Like, enough. I know you're trying to play and you'd play through this, but, no, you got to get off the ice. Yeah, I probably wish I'd had a coach the couple of times that I did. It's funny, after, 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 I can't remember who I retweeted or re-X'd or whatever the hell we're calling it these days, um, that I sort of, because I was in the Oilers room after that game, that it sort of tweeted out um, or X'd out again. I'm so confused. Uh, reposted. That, the, the I think comment, they call it just a repost. Repost. So they reposted... Um, Coach's comments on Demko throwing up, and I had to quote tweet it and tag one of the guys from Monday Night Hockey and, and basically said, hey, this is the closest I'll ever be to Thatcher Demko on the ice. Because <laughs> they, they witnessed it before. So, um, Demko's been pretty good, though, to start this season, hey? I mean, especially last night, he was, uh, I mean, he was the only good Canuck, as we saw. Yeah, no, I mean, like, holy flashbacks. Uh, can, can Friedman, uh, can Friedman kill high danger chances? Cause they're bleeding them like crazy right now. Like it's, uh, was that was, that was last night was they created three high percentage on their 18 chances and a 1.17 expected goals. Woof. Philly had 13 mm. high danger chances and their expected goals was 5.57. Like mm. just just a crazy discrepancy. And I know it was the home opener and everything. And I guess they, that's where, and it's only game three. And there were players that said that and those are all fair points, but we've seen this before. We talked, we've talked in the past about great finishes to a season and not following up on it because of what can only be described when you see it enough. It's hard to avoid a term like this as harsh as it is. That's sort of arrogance. And I think talk had hit on that again last night as well. Like 
who are we mm. to think, you know, that you can show up and play like that? And it's been a theme for a number of years. And, and they'll get a chance now tomorrow night to sort of show that it's not going to continue. But, man, does any team deal – and it's human nature. Like, I get it. But at some point after all these years, knowing the importance of a quick start to come out with a night like that, like, you know, we're getting to that point where you start to, start to ask some hard questions about the group if this continues. Well, I think that's exactly it, if this continues. And, you know, I think, like we've been mentioning on the show, that I think there's been a lot of confirmation bias the first three games of the season. And in both ways, whether it's, you know, especially after last night about, hey, same old Canucks again, the first couple of games, like, hey, they figured it out, right? They're bought into the Tockett system. Look at the details. This is why they're winning. This is a different Canucks team. And it's going to take time for us to really see what this team is all about. But to your point about the arrogance, and I don't even think the arrogance is, is, is so much like a... Um, in terms of them being like arrogant in necessarily a bad way, that they're bad people that are arrogant. It's more about you can't just expect to win a hockey game. And even Quinn post game saying, "Hey, I thought we we're going to win this hockey game," and, and I'm like, "Okay, that's good to have confidence." But there's a little bit of arrogance and perhaps naive arrogance, I would say. That with that effort, how do you think you're going to win the game? Because talent's not going to be enough. You can think you're talented all you want, but you're not going to magically all of a sudden get chances on your stick and you're going to bury them and win the game because you're talented. And that mentality has to change. To if we don't pick it up, we have no chance of winning the way we're playing right now there's no chance of winning this hockey game and i don't think that mentality has shifted for those players yet no and it's it's not just offensively it's defensively as well like you can make all the improvements like you want structure wise but if you're not working hard they, they don't matter if you're not winning you know the things that talk it likes to talk about the the wall battles and and the possession battles and winning puck battles like it's it's the same on both ends of the ice and that's why and listen, part of this is just, you know, the Oilers were two of them, even though they laid an egg in the first one. But, I mean, when I look at where they are league-wide through three games, that's yeah, 31st in high-danger chances against, 5-on-5, five five, 26th off the rush, 32nd in zone, and 28th on the PK, right? Like, again, small sample, but enough to make you nervous that after, you know, spending all season, even us in the media, buying into these changes being – more sticky and having more staying power because of the structure behind them, um, we see results that feel all too familiar, including Thatcher Demko having to stand in his head to keep a 2 nothing game from being 6 nothing or 7 nothing or 8 nothing, And that's, it's alarming. Do you panic? Do you like completely give up on them? No, but it's concerning enough that, you know, that margin for error and sort of bef- before we pass judgment um, you know, it, it's slipping away a little bit and it's, you know, it's, it's just the same thing over and over again. And, and as they've all said, like, it's almost like the playoffs, right? Like you get so high and so low. And I think the tendency to be as critical as I'm being right now, um, even after three games is just because we've seen this movie so many times before, maybe it is a bit of an overreaction and maybe it's good that the players in the room last night, because I saw some people that didn't love their reaction that thought it wasn't, you know, passionate or upset enough given the way that game went, but maybe that's a good thing too. At the end of the day, the proof's going to be in the pudding. And if you have too many nights like that, then you are going to start to hear about things like arrogance and, you know, just thinking frankly that you're better than you are because that's what, the impression you leave when you have nights like that, where you think it's going to be easier than it ever will be with this group as currently constructed. 
Yeah, it, it's you can't play like you're the uh, peak Golden State Warriors and like resting two of your stars and going up against <laughs> the Minnesota Timberwolves or something like that, you know, and, and still walk away with a 196 win on a random Tuesday during the NBA season like the Canucks aren't that team. They have to work as hard as they did in game one every every single night, no matter who the opponent is. That's just that's just who they have to be if they're going to win. Yeah, and there's going to be, listen, it's an 82-game schedule. There's going to be nights where you just go, whoa. Yeah. Right? Like, it happens. The schedule catches up to you. We're three games in, right? That's, again, that's the alarming part and what makes you concerned, you know, about things like character when we can see that type of effort three games and when the coach saw it coming. Yeah. Based on the practice he had the day before, did everything to try and prevent it, and it still happened. Those things are concerning. But again, like you said, like it's there's I'm on both sides of this. Like they've got three more games on this trip to sort of prove us wrong, right? But when you see it over and over again, it's hard to ignore it when the signs come back. I think that's the thing, because I think if you look at it from just a result standpoint, I think all of us, if we said, if somebody told us, hey, the Canucks go 2-1, and one, would you take that or would the team take that? I think everybody would say yes after the first three games. Two games against Edmonton and one against Philly. Yeah, you take a split in a game, a win against Philly. It just happened to be they lost against Philly. So I think from that standpoint, it's been a positive start and nobody should complain that they're 2-1. and one. It's more about... What are we going to see from this point on? Now, we can talk about this all day. Like you said, the proof's going to be in the pudding. Now, I wanted to get your thoughts as well on the new netminder for the Vancouver Canucks, Casey DeSmith, who pulled out a victory. Uh, well, I, I say, I mean, he was under a lot of fire. And I thought at times, I know I texted you about this, it seemed like it was very chaotic, but he got the job done. How did you think Casey DeSmith played, and, and what do you make of the netminder? Yeah, no, I mean, I, listen, there, there's some things in his game that you really, really like. Um, you know, I think of McDavid walking in sort of inside the face-off dot in a situation where a lot of goalies are probably going to be dropping early and into a default block. Uh, he's making a reactive blocker save, high, you know, high on that side. Like, he's holding edges, he's patient. A lot of things that you're going to need in today's game. Uh, his lateral movement is really quick. Um, and for the most part, like, yeah, there, there, there's the odd Superman dive in there. And that's, that's not a bad thing, right? Like you, desperation moments, you have to abandon technique. You have to find solutions to unique problems in an ever-increasingly dynamic game. And if you stick with technique all the time, you know, we saw it with Demko last night on the two-on-one. Like sometimes you just got to find a way to get something on the puck. And, and there's definitely a battle in dismiss, and that's a positive. Um, there are times, the, one, the only thing, and you know, part of this was shot volume and shot, part of this was shot quality, um, but I had 15 rebounds in terms of, uh, you know, office shots, second chances. Not They didn't all end up in shots. I think only a couple of them actually ended up in shots, and that's a credit to the way the Canucks, as bad as they were overall, sort of collapsed and took care of that area in front of the net. And we heard Evander Kane talking the next day about the Oilers not doing a good enough job of getting to those areas, and I would have agreed. Um, but the Canucks also did a good, a good job of boxing out and clearing pucks because, out of those 15 rebounds, and only five of them are what we would classify as, you know, quote-unquote weak rebounds, rebounds that sort of get away from you and you don't keep them in front of you, they're off to the side, you've kind of recovered laterally to get there. Um, but the Canucks bailed them out on it. They did a nice job. So are you a little concerned? About 15 rebounds on what, 45 shots? So one-third of the pucks end up with, with rebounds? Now, when 10 of them are good, you know, controlled rebounds, not so much. Um, but it did feel hectic at times. And, you know, it, it's early, it's one game, 
I think for the most part, it's more the game itself and them being under siege so much as it is every time Casey DeSmith, like there's nothing in there. I'm looking at and go, man, every time Casey DeSmith plays, they better box out because there's going to be rebounds everywhere. But there were a few signs of that. It was a little scrambly. It was a little chaotic. And, you know, I guess, I guess we'll see how much of that was the game itself and how much of that was Casey. And, you know, if, if, more of it was Casey and we see that come out in subsequent starts, then that's something you have to be cognizant of because those chances that end up on the back door off your pads or off, off your body that you don't control, um, you know, other teams might do a better job of converting those chances than the Oilers did that night. But I don't know how you can't love the effort overall, the results overall. And there were some things in his game in terms of the way he managed the rough and the, sorry, the rush and his movement patterns, um, you know, that I know are new to him and he hasn't been here that long. And to see him integrate them at game speed this early was actually really encouraging because other goalies have come into this system and, you know, taken five, six weeks to get comfortable with some of those different movement patterns and, and, you know, not all of them, but but some of the important ones, I saw him executing. Like I said, at, at, at against speedy rushes in real time, uh, and that's that's a positive. Might, might with time, at least the way they teach it and the way they would argue it's effective, create more consistency in his game while he's here. And that's been the one thing that sort of plagued him at times throughout his career. Like his highs have been really high. Um, but so the lows. And when you play with a little more extra moving parts, that's the way tends, things tend to go. So if they can tighten up some of that, um, maybe we'll see more of the upside more often here. Asked about uh, you know the workload for DeSmith today and, and said it's likely he gets in at some point over the next three games on the road road trip you know he already played one here early in the season it's not like these are back-to-back all these games are are pretty spaced out so far for the Vancouver Canucks or are you surprised that uh, DeSmith is getting this amount of looks early without any back-to-backs um yeah I guess a little bit um and maybe that changes if Thatcher keeps having nights like he did last night but it's a good thing if you feel that you can win games with your backup goaltender if he's built that level of trust from Rick Tockett already like, like I've said, like getting, you know, the just get in mentality doesn't matter if you've played the wheels off your goaltender and he doesn't make it to the end of the season. Like, like that was Thatcher two years ago. And it's not like it's just him. This isn't a Demko thing. Um, UC Saros two years ago, injured before the end of the season, played the most minutes. Like if you really want your goaltending advantage to matter when the games matter the most, then you better not have run him into the ground. And so, you know, that ideal number of starts, you know, I'm hearing this around the league. Like it's, you know, it used to be 65 and it became 60 and then teams started talking about 55. And and I think it's in that 50 to 55 window. And this is a sign that perhaps they're on the same page. As long as they have a, a guy they can trust to keep him at those levels so that they get 100% out of Patrick Demko, nights like last night, uh, more often, that's a good thing. Uh, now, y- you know what? Uh, we actually, I, I was going to just go to the Tampa question, but you know what? We have a little bit of time here. Um, the Canucks have a third goalie they talk about uh, to help ease the practice workload. I know we discussed this a bit earlier. He's not on the road with the team, but talk, uh, referenced him today on the road about the availability and how that third goalie is going to help the team out in practice. Uh, what do you make of that situation, and, and what do you know about how that can all work? 
And I'm sorry, Sad, did you say that Taka talked about it today? Uh, he mentioned, yeah, I think it was today. He mentioned that yeah, um, he's today. not on the road, but oh. they're going to use... Well, uh, first off, send me that damn audio, because I'm going I'm to need to do a story on that sometime soon, <laughs> because I have been banging the practice Chris Goley drum at NHL.com for years. And so um, the fact they've established this, uh, interesting that he's not traveling. Um, I guess I would have been a little surprised if he was, and yet I think secretly quietly they try to keep it quiet but i know at least one other nhl team like there are teams that have guys that travel because their day job is to travel whether it's the washington capitals video coach who played goalie in college and fills in occasionally or the carolina hurricanes um, equipment manager who frequently fills in at practice as an extra goalie to give the the number one guy in particular extra days of rest. Like that happens a lot, but there was a team last year that I was told by multiple people actually traveled a practice goalie. And this, this one gets a little sticky. I've heard there's been pushback um, at various times about how this can be structured, what you can do, because I think in, in a perfect world, the PA would like this to be an NHL job. Um, but it's a it's a good thing, and your your members, if you include the goaltenders in it um, that are in the NHL, benefit from having this extra time off. And so I applaud the Canucks for taking this step. Uh, I believe it's it's actually a goalie I know pretty well in in, in Roman Bazarat, who used to be with the uh, Kelowna Rockets, and as a matter of fact, in the OHL last year at one point, much like Archer Silovs once did, he he wore equipment from in goal when his wasn't going to be ready on time. So. Um, this, this is something to be applauded. This is a good thing. Uh, and if they do end up traveling him later in the season, as, as the goalies get more worn out and the games get more condensed and they figure they need more of that, then I will applaud the hell out of that too. Cause a lot of time in practice is spent on things that aren't necessarily good for a goaltender. And, you know, in, 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 in some cases you could argue are detrimental. And when we're trying to, manage rest and manage their their workload it makes no sense to waste those reps to waste those butterfly drops to waste those reverse vh integrations uh on practice situations that you know in a lot of cases aren't even game like like or game specific so any type of rest you could get is i think that's a great thing the next step for me uh as more and more teams take this one is do we give them the night off when they're not starting remove the game day skate, let them work with the goalie coach, not focus on any anything else, remove the three-hour early arrival, the warm-up, the riding the bike to get the body warm, the dynamic stretching, the juggling, the mental toll of perhaps having to play and make it truly a night off. We'll see. I, I think there was one team that did that at one point last year. That's the next one I'm looking to see if guys follow suit on. Uh, before we let you go, uh, so far through four games this year, uh, the Lightning have uh, two goalies that haven't played so well, both under a, a 900 save percentage, three games for, for Jonas Johansson so far, and the Lightning only have one win to show for it. We knew it was going to be tough for them to, to replace Vassy, but uh, what have you seen from the, the Lightning so far? Well, I've seen a team that, uh, you know, knowing they're not going to have Vasilevsky might want to, I don't know, start to play a little defense at some point this season. Cause they haven't so far. Like it's, it's, it's remarkable to me because, because as good as Vassie is, a lot of his success has been tied to the structure and they got better their last start, but in the first few games, they were bottom third in the league. They're sort of middle of the pack right now. And I, I guess I thought there would be more 
like the game against Buffalo was easily their best night, but the, the ones before that, the numbers after that were all like, you know, 25th in the NHL defensively. And so to ask two goalies uh, in Jonas Johansson, who's been in and out of the league, but never established. And Matt Tompkins, who's never been in it. That was his NHL debut the other night to not only step into new roles, but to do it behind a team that can't seem to figure it out defensively. Like it would be like slapping them behind the Vancouver Canucks the way Colin Dealey and Spencer Martin were last year when they couldn't defend and the lick. And that's, it was a little better again against the Sabres, but there's been too much of that too soon to the point where I don't think it's fair to pass judgment on those guys. Like I actually didn't mind Matt Tompkins game. I watched that one closely because he works with some people I know in Kelowna and made some big strides this summer. Um, and I know, I know, like I know NHL shooters that, changed their opinion of Matt Tompkins as the summer went on based on the work he did up there. Like they couldn't believe the differences. And so I'm in, I'm excited to see him get a, get this shot. I just wish it was behind a team that could figure things out defensively. And that as much as missing Vasilevsky is big, that's an almost even bigger story. Cause that isn't how the lightning have played. Even when they had Bassey. Uh Woodley, you are the best. Uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks for this. Thanks guys. I'm going to go make sure that there's no, you know, mask residue around here. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, there is uh, Kevin Woodley, uh, the goalie guru in goal magazine. And of course, covering the Canucks at NHL.com as always a lot of great Intel among the best Intel you get on goalies anywhere. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah coming up. Canucks central continues with a Wednesday edition of overrated or underrated. That's next on sports at 650.